5. And when I say Matthew 5, it's easy to think, oh, Beatitudes, yeah. Sermon on the Mount, yeah. And if we then put the Bible aside, we've missed most of the sermon. I'd like to ask you to stand in honoring God's word. We're going to verse 38. And the topic is an eye for an eye, or it's an attitude or an outlook. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. The word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Gail. Um, three weeks ago, I, pre- I, I preached the first half of uh, this message, and it dealt with grace to the family speaking about our need to grace each other in the body of Christ. Well, today I'm looking beyond the walls of the church. Um, Our need to grace people out there. Grace for the public. And that can be friends, that can be neighbors, it can be co-workers, it can be people that... um, you encounter at the grocery store, wherever it might be. You know, uh, we live in a, a, a challenging cultural climate, I think. One that's growing less and less accepting of scriptural values and those who hold to those values. And as a result, we face the possibility of criticism ridicule, anger, and sometimes all-out attack on the beliefs we hold dearly simply because they are Christian. So how do we respond in a world that's antagonistic towards us? And by the way, we have to be careful. I think sometimes we've deserved what we've gotten. We've, done not, we've not done a very good job of representing the church and Jesus in the world where we live. We've, uh, we've caused our own problems. But how do we respond in a world that's antagonistic towards us? Do we go silent so as not to offend? Do we water down what we believe in order to make it more palatable? Well, I don't think either one of those options is the right choice. I certainly think we need to stand up for what we believe, and we need to do it in the right way. We need to be able to articulate our beliefs clearly and truthfully, but we need to do so with grace. And I think sometimes that's been left out. We, res- we need to respond with grace. Any hope we have of winning those opposed to us will never happen if we choose to fight fire with fire. Someone has said we're not judged so much by our actions as our reactions. 
Only love demonstrated through grace has the possibility of changing the attitudes and ultimately the hearts of those God has called us to reach, especially when they are unfriendly to us. And so when you contrast what I talked about two weeks ago, or three weeks ago rather, grace in the family, um, that's one thing. Generally when you're talking about grace in the family, you're talking about people who know each other, and we have a good connection with each other. And sometimes things arise, but, you know, we're, for the most part, on the same page. But what happens when that's not the case? And so, Jesus gives us some, some examples in, in the text. Uh, situations where we are called to respond in undeserved ways. To respond in undeserved ways. By the way, that's grace. What's Jesus saying here? And um, so what he's telling us is in these situations, we are to respond in, in a way that is generally unexpected, undeserved. Why would Jesus make what seems like outrageous statements in the verses that we read today? I mean... Some people would read this and say, are you kidding me? Um, I mean, it sounds like he's saying at at, at a first reading, well, just lay down and die, or just take whatever's dished out to you, or be a doormat for people to walk on, or let people abuse you and degrade you in any way they choose. But what Jesus is doing here is he's using a common method of of of, uh, getting a point across. It's it's hyperbole. Um, It's exaggeration to prove a point. Um, In verses 27 through 30, um, Jesus does the same thing. He talks about gouging out your eye or cutting off your hand to keep from sinning. Um, And he's trying to make a point here about how serious sin is and how important it is for us to avoid it. And in today's passage, I think we can see some hyperbole at work here, but that doesn't mean we're off the hook. Just because it sounds like Jesus might be exaggerating to to make his point doesn't mean we're off the hook. See, sometimes it's easy for us to say, oh, well, I see the point. Well said. And we pat ourselves on the back for our depth of understanding, and then we go off and forget to apply what we've heard in the way, in, in the way we live. Well, as, as we will see, Jesus is trying to help his, his listeners see that they do not need to cash in on their legal rights at the expense of their witness to others. In fact, Not availing ourselves of our rights may provide opportunities for others to see an accurate picture of the good and generous nature of God. Maybe another way of saying that is to say, don't be stingy with God's grace. The the bottom line principle, I think, of what Jesus is saying in this passage is this. We must be more concerned with showing the grace of God than than with receiving proper treatment from others. Not easy to do, is it? 
So what, what is Jesus saying here? Well, he's saying, first of all, grace does not retaliate. Grace does not retaliate. The Apostle Paul, oh, by the way, a, a good portion of that um, responsive reading we did this morning was from Romans chapter 12. And, and in Romans chapter 12, verse 14, Paul says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. What? That's not a natural reaction, is it? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Um, I've shared this from the pulpit a few times. Uh, what, probably three district assemblies ago, one of our GSs was preaching and he talked about our tendency at times to be angry with the harvest. Remember Jesus said the, the, the fields are white for harvest. We have a world that we're called to reach. But sometimes our views of life and what's right and wrong and, and the... And, and the way our culture is changing, especially from the way it was when many of us were growing up, is so drastic. And to us, we look at that and we just... We, and so we tend to be angry at, at the harvest, at the people who hold those appointing points of view, who, 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 who don't look to Scripture, who, who think that so many things we say are wrong or right or okay. And... And, we, and so we get angry. And sometimes that comes across. And I mean, it's just not something we do when we're sitting uh, in front of the TV and watching the news. But, you know, we can, we can steam and boil over a little in our, in the, in our own easy armch- armchair. But that comes out in our interactions with people out there where call, God has called us to represent Jesus Christ to our world. Grace does not retaliate. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And Jesus said in this passage today, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Get them back. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. In nearly every culture, a slap in the face is an insult. The Mishnah, which are Jewish traditions based on the Torah, it has this to say about injury and insult. If anyone wounds his fellow, he becomes liable to compensate the injured party for five different aspects of the injury. Damage, pain, healing, Loss of time from work and insult. And during the time of Jesus, the Jewish rabbis were debating this fifth point of compensation. Namely, how do you compensate someone for insult? Let's say somebody insulted you by slapping you. Could you take them to court and get some money out of them? That was the debate among the rabbis, because what they do is they take the scripture and then they would, it was kind of, they built these commentaries on it. Jesus said, no, you can't do that. 
The rabbis apparently said yes, and this became part of the Mishnah sometime in the second century A.D. Jesus was saying, take the insult and be ready for more. Take the insult and be ready for more. The uh, Talmud, which includes the Mishnah, says, Does he give him a blow upon the cheek? Let him give 200 zuzis or pennies. If the other hand, let him give 400. So here was this idea, if you're insulted by a slap, you could get retribution by demanding payment from that person. And Jesus is saying here, no. Some have viewed this passage as a call to, to nonviolence and that we should never retaliate. And while those things are generally true, um, this passage has more to do about not responding in kind. If someone insults you, um, well, first of all, in our world, those things do happen. Um, there's, there's this idea of compensation for slander or defamation. We see that sometimes in the news. And, but for us, it's more about, I don't know that I've ever even thought of suing someone because they said something that offended me. For me, that's not the issue here. The issue is not responding in kind. Um, Remember the actor Robin Williams? He took his life uh, not too long ago. But some years ago, he, he was in a movie called uh, Pan, I think it was. And as an adult, he was Peter Pan. And as an adult, he goes back to Never Never Land. And now, you know, there's the Lost Boys. And this guy named Rufio is in charge of the Lost Boys now. And Peter Pan shows up on the scene as an adult. And... Um, you know, the lost boys, they're boys. They do things boys do. And so the adult Peter Pan gets into a name-calling contest with Rufio, the leader, because Rufio's being feeling threatened. And it goes back and forth. And, and you, it's just, you try to outdo the other guy with a better name, worser name, than the guy called you previous to that. And Peter Pan's w winning, and he says, it's because, as an adult, I'm a lawyer. I'm good at this kind of stuff. That's exactly the kind of thing, though, that we're not to do. Get into the name-calling contest. Now, I'm not real anxious to accept insults or be slapped in the face. It's not fun. But I have to ask myself, how important is it for people to see the grace of God in my life? I can strike back physically, I can strike back verbally, and I guess maybe in extreme cases, if you're oriented this way, maybe even legally. But are people going to see the real Jesus in me through my actions if that's how I choose to react? Jesus urges grace. Give people the space to be human. Realize that some people insult others to cover up their own wounds and insecurities. 
Proverbs 15, verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So you have an opportunity to diffuse a situation or throw gas on the fire. That's basically what this is saying. When someone insults you, don't get violent, don't get smart, don't get nasty with your words, and don't try to exploit them in any way or respond in kind. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Be willing to take something for the sake of Jesus and the cross and your witness. The next thing Jesus is saying to us here is grace values people over things. Grace values people over things. Verse 40, And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. The law of Moses did not allow the outer garment to be taken from a person since that was the main item of clothing that protected them from the weather, from the cold specifically. The tunic was the long sack-like inner garment made of cotton or linen. And the the poorest person would have had a tunic. Probably a change of tunics. More than one. The cloak rather, was a great blanket-like outer garment which a man wore as a robe by day and often used as their covering or blanket at night. Um, Most Jews had, they might have had more than one tunic, but they probably only had one cloak. Jewish law allowed that a man's tunic might be taken as pledge, but not his cloak. Exodus chapter 22, verses 26 and 27. If ever you take your neighbor's garment or his cloak in pledge, you shall restore it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering. It is, it is his mantle for his body. And what else shall he sleep? The point is that by right, a man's cloak could not be taken permanently from him. But Jesus says that if someone lays claim to your tunic because of a debt you owe them, don't go to court over the, go, go to court over it. Give it to him and offer your cloak as well. Perhaps this was to express your intent to repay what you owe. Remember, Now, Jewish law would bring him back to you before sundown, giving opportunity for a relationship to develop and perhaps a repayment plan to be agreed upon. See, what this is about is maintaining relationships. Nevertheless, even if the cloak was a permanent loss, it would be assigned to the other person that you value your relationship with them more than your material possessions. What? Better to take a moderate loss and stay on good terms with others than to prove your point or win your case, but lose the opportunity to show God's generous grace to them. Hmm. Who said living the Christian life is easy? The next thing Jesus is telling us in this passage is that grace is revealed in our willingness to help. 
our willingness to help. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Roman law gave Roman soldiers the ability to appoint any non-citizen to walk one Roman mile, which was 1,000 paces, carrying the Romans' supplies or armor or whatever he wanted you to tote for him in that particular case. And Jesus says, go beyond. Walk two miles. Jesus was telling the people to joyfully do what was repulsive to them, helping out Romans who dominated them. Last thing I want to do. The Roman practice of commandeering civilians to carry military equipment or or a soldier's personal items was especially infuriating to the Jewish population of Jesus' time. A Roman's the last person I want to help. So Jesus alludes to this practice, but rather than stirring up outrage or resentment because the Roman has asked you to do that, he charges his followers to volunteer to go beyond what has been asked of them. Once again, Jesus assumes a new starting point for human relationships based upon kingdom principles that even responds to humiliating situations by doing good. What would shed the most light on the goodness and grace of God? Reluctant, spiteful, rude service because you have to? Or cheerful, willing, gracious service? I don't think that one needs debate. Be willing to go above above and beyond the call of duty to demonstrate God's love and grace to others. And then, grace is revealed in our willingness to give. Verse 42, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Deuteronomy, back to the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 9 through 11. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will toward your needy brother and give him nothing. You see what he's saying there? Oh man, the time for canceling debts is near. I'm not going to loan him anything, because it will be canceled in... Be careful not to think that. That's what it's saying here. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near so that you will not show ill will toward your needy brother and give him nothing. He may then appeal to the Lord against you and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and needy in your land. 
And these Old Testament verses may very well have been the situation Jesus was referring to when He said, Give and do not turn away. Give to anyone who asks of you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, Jesus was not talking about giving handouts to every stranger or person on the street corner who's asking for something. He was saying that we do have a responsibility to give or offer help to responsible people. They may be destitute because of circumstances beyond their own control. And we need to give whether it will be paid back or not. You know, one of the um, responsibilities that has fallen upon me as pastor, I think, yeah, in every place I've been, was when someone comes knocking at the door of the church asking, asking for help, you deal with that. Oh. That's hard. Because I feel that I need to be a responsible steward of the monies you give and make available to help people. So you try to determine, is this a real need? Am I being played? Is this someone who just knows how to use the system? But underlying that is this thought um, I'd rather err in generosity than otherwise. So, you know, there's this thing of, is this a real need? Um, but one thing I always tell people, because... A lot of times there's a lengthy story that goes with it. My tendency is to want to say, hey, just tell me what you need and let's... But there's usually... Link, but, and then promises to pay back. I get, I've heard a lot of those. And here's what I say, tell them. I'm not giving this to you so that you... I'm not expecting you to pay it back. Here's why. If you promise to pay it back and can't, I don't want you ducking into a doorway when you see me coming down the street. Because now you feel guilty because you haven't been able to live up to your promise. And that, see, that's, Jesus says, that's the spirit, spirit I want you to give in. I want you to give, if you're going to give, and be able to do it without this expectation of being paid back so that if that, that doesn't happen, this person isn't trying to avoid you now. They're not going to come to church anymore, whatever it is. Now, lest we persist in thinking that Jesus is saying to give up all your rights, give everything away and let people walk all over you, notice the limitations in each of these areas. Turn the other cheek versus let someone beat you to a pulp. Give up your tunic and your cloak versus giving away everything you own. Walk the extra mile versus walk all day long or until the soldier no longer needs you. 
limit or boundary in verse 42 concerning giving and lending is found in your ability to give or lend without hindering the welfare of your own family as well as in the legitimacy of the need that's expressed. If someone does not manage their finances well and expects you to bail them out every time they get into a hole, you are enabling that person to be irresponsible if you continue to give or lend to them. Give them real help. Offer to help them set up a budget. Or point them in that direction so that they can become a good steward over that which God has blessed them with. This is not limiting God's grace. In the church that my dad attended before he passed away, they they actually had um, a gentleman in the church who that was his responsibility in the church was to help people that struggled in this way financially, who didn't have good financial boundaries, didn't, didn't know what a budget was, spent unwisely. He would work with them. The church would help, but a condition of that help was that they meet with this gentleman to help them be more responsible financially. And one of the things he did was say, you need to turn your checkbook over to me. Woo. So, that, that's not ungracious. That's offering real help to people. Who, now, it's one, it's not, I'm not saying you don't lend. I'm not saying you don't give. But we need to be wise about it. That's part of offering God's grace to people. It's, a long, it's about long-term solutions, about what ultimately is right for them and is, will be the most help. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians about giving to the persecuted and impoverished church, he said, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed but that there might be equality. We give as we are able to give. You want to help someone in need? Give it if you have it. Give it if you have it. Don't if you don't, but remember to always be generous with the grace of God and the blessings He's poured out on you and on me. When we speak about grace, too, it's about something different than fairness. God is not about fairness. It is about doing the undeserved. That's what grace is about. It's about giving because we love. It's about doing because we love. It's about going the extra mile because we love. God loves us and graciously gives us more than we deserve. God loves us and gives us... Christian financial consultant and author Larry Burkett, you remember Larry Burkett? He speaks in his book, Business by the Book, about going the extra mile, going beyond fairness, extending grace. Early in his career, he leased an office in a building that proved to be a nightmare. The foundation had not been properly constructed and the office building was literally sinking several inches a year into the ground. After more than three years of putting up with assorted problems, including power failures and several weeks without water, Burkett moved his business to another location. 
Two months after he left, Briquette received a letter from his former landlord who demanded that Briquette remodel and repaint his former office space. Briquette said no, feeling he had already been more than fair with the landlord, but the former landlord continued to call with his demands. Briquette consulted an attorney who agreed that Briquette had fulfilled his responsibility and should, do, should not do anything further. Well, he, Briquette went on to say that his son offered him some different counsel. His son reminded him that the landlord and his wife had lost their child only a few years earlier and still suffered from that tragedy. Briquette had often commented that he would like to help them heal through their loss. His son, sugge- son suggested that this might be an opportunity to do just that by not doing what was fair, but by what was gracious. He considered what his son had said. He decided to commit several thousand dollars to restore a virtual, virtually non-usable building. That is going beyond fair. That is grace that gives. During World War II, a German soldier plunged into a bomb crater. There he found a wounded enemy. The fallen soldier was soaked with blood and only minutes from death. Touched by the plight of the man, the German soldier offered him water. Through this simple kindness, a bond was formed. The the dying man pointed to his shirt pocket. The German soldier took from it a wallet and removed some family pictures. He held them up so the wounded man could take a look at his loved ones for the last time. With bullets raging overhead and war all around them, these two enemies were for a moment bonded. What happened in that bomb crater? Did all evil cease to exist? No. Were all wrongs made right? No. What happened was this. One saw his enemy as a human in need of help. And that's what grace is. Grace is rising above the war, looking beyond what we are, and choosing to see others, not as enemies, not as a harvest that we want to get angry at, not as enemies or even as friends, but as fellow soldiers wanting to survive this battle we call life. So here's a couple of questions I want to close with today. Are we more concerned with showing the generous love of God than with receiving proper treatment from others? Are we more concerned with showing the generous love and grace of God than with receiving proper treatment from others? Are we willing to take insults if it shows how patient and kind God is? If we allow the way others to treat us to stop the flow of grace through our, our lives, everybody loses. We lose and those who need to know God or need to know who God is lose an opportunity to see Him in us. So do we value people more than possessions? Are we willing to serve beyond what is re- required 
of us? How open-handed are we when it comes to helping those in need? Grace is free to us, but it was not cheap. And it is a grace, the grace we see manifested in the life of Jesus, that we are called to imitate. For it is grace that looks beyond what someone has done and sees what they can be. My, my brother-in-law, Dean Walker, his father, Max, started Walker Manufacturing. And um, Max is gone now. He's with Jesus. But um, every year they have a Founder's Day, kind of honoring Max's life. And something, Max, Max, uh, these guys would come into Max's office. Some of them were, uh, they were looking for a job. You know, as an employer, you kind of size people up and like, whoa. I mean, that's kind of would have been my response to some of these people. Been nice talking to you, but you probably need to look elsewhere. But Max had this saying. Max said, it's not who you are, it's who you can become. There are a lot of people at Walker Manufacturing today that say, I'm here because of Max Walker. That's grace, folks. That's grace lived out. As Christians, that's the kind of grace we not only experience, that's the kind of grace that's been extended to us, but that's the kind of grace we are to exhibit as well. So that we we may be, as Jesus was, people of grace. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you have extended grace to me, and I think many of us would testify to this to us over and over and over again. And you've called us to extend grace to others. It's not easy to do. It's not even something that culturally we are encouraged to do. You don't have to do that. Get your pound of flesh. Someone insults you, insult them back. What's yours is yours. You don't have you don't have to give any of it to anyone else. And yet, Father, we know that those kinds of statements are contrary to your heart. And they do not reflect the grace that you've shown to us and that we are to show to others. So as important as it is for us to show grace to one another as the family, as the body of Christ, you've called us to be gracious in a world, in our world, in our neighborhoods, in our places of business. At voting time when there are heated debates and differences of opinions about issues. To be gracious. Oh, not that we lay down and we set our values aside or any of that. 
But Lord God, when we do engage, to do so graciously because that's what you've called us to and because you have graced us so abundantly. So thank you. Thank you. And help us to do the hard thing through the work of your Holy Spirit in us of showing grace to others in whatever circumstance we find ourselves. Because that's what Jesus would do, and that's what you've called us to do as well. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.